Hello everyone, this is Sakib joined by Matt. Day one of Wimbledon is in the books and uh, I'm sure we have plenty to talk about. Uh, most of you know how the day unfolded so we won't really bother going over the stuff that all of you already know. But there's still some points worth pointing out. Uh, Matt, where do you want to start with? Well, I think you have to start with Sloane Stevens. Uh, I mean, I know that we're going to focus uh, on what's coming ahead in day two, but on day one, we have to make note of Sloan Stevens crashing out in round one against Donna Vekic. Uh, you know, not that, uh, you know, Vekic was not an easy first round draw to be sure, uh, and Vekic very nearly defeated Joe Conta in round two, uh, last year, uh, and, you know, Conta did make the semifinals. Vekic, you know, was just a, a, a razor, razor's edge away from winning that match. Uh, so, you know, Vekic almost beat a high-quality grass player uh, at the start of last year's tournament. So we, we know that Vekic is no slouch on grass. Nevertheless, that having been said, uh, the fact that Stevens offered very little resistance in what was ultimately a, a fairly routine match, that is certainly an eye-grabber. Um, you know, Stevens was not carrying any sort of injury, which was uh, different from her Australian Open. You know, when she lost in the first round of Australia, we all knew that, you know, she was working her way back into shape. Uh, this was not that. This was a different context. This was a different situation. And uh, just she just didn't have much to offer, and that, that cast this particular loss uh, in a different light. So that was really the, the foremost story of day one of the championships. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, like you said, she was really flat, and, you know, a lot of times these things happen. And I believe I read a coach, she herself said, this is a long tour, you know. A lot of times things don't go your way because it's a long tour with a lot of calendars, you know, a lot of surface changes, etc. But, yeah, I mean, looking at the trend, you know, finals of a major, then first round loss, then another final, first round loss. So maybe U.S. Open, you know, she'll make another final. Uh, I don't know, it doesn't make sense, but just had to throw it out there. And uh, what do you think of uh, the other two losses today of uh, Grigor Dimitrov and uh, Richard Gasquet? Uh, do you want to speak maybe briefly about Dimitrov? I know this is uh, a train that's you know that's heading in the wrong direction for a while now. And uh, Stan Wawrinka, who's been on his own comeback, grass has never been his preferred surface. He looked pretty mediocre against Murray and Eastbourne. And now, are you surprised that Wawrinka was able to pull this off? And what does this mean for Wawrinka? I mean. Uh, we know that the struggles Dimitrov has. Is it a good, good confidence builder, or it's still, you know, Wawrinka has a lot of questions to answer come next round? Well, uh, you know, when you, when you look at this through the prism of Dimitrov, you know, it's another very familiar and depressing result. But if you flip the script and you look at it from Wawrinka's point of view, given how poorly he did play, uh, against Murray, as you noted, Sakiv, you know, for, for Vavrenka to turn this thing around, in many ways, it's an inversion of his French Open, uh, first round match in which he led two sets to one, but then lost steam at the very end. This was the match, uh, in which he, he, he started slowly in the first set, you know, he got rolled, uh, and then he was also trailing in the third set, about to fall behind two sets to one, but he never stopped fighting, and he grew in strength late in the third set and then throughout the fourth set. And and if, if anyone watched that match, you know, Vavrinka was animated. He was roaring after a lot of key points in the latter stages of that match. 
Uh, in Ron Garros, it was as though he was still trying to find his way. He was still, I think, thinking about his his status, thinking about his health, thinking about uh, his journey. This was a match in which Favrico was living in the moment and enjoying the experience of playing tennis. It's kind of weird to say that, given that he's much better on clay than on grass, but just in terms of the the progression of his comeback, he, he seemed much more emotionally at home uh, in this match against Dimitrov. So it's a huge step forward. Um, various matches might be more a commentary on one player than another, and this is certainly more a commentary on where Dimitrov is in his career than Vavrinka. But Stan, from his point of view, he shouldn't really care about where his opponents are. If he can dig out uh, four and five set wins, you know, that's all good at this point in his career. If he can do that, you know, if he can do, and if he can, you know, create and cement the idea that, hey, I remember when I used to do this on the way to winning majors, you know, playing my way through four or five set matches, uh, in the first week of a major, you know, but we all know that Vavrinka is not a serious contender at Wimbledon, uh, but just being able to pull some of these matches out of the fire as he did against Dimitrov, this is exactly what Favrenka can use uh, as he looks toward the U.S. Open. That's where he's going to try and make a real move at a major this year. No, I totally agree. And then uh, I would just want to add, when I was doing the podcast with Hannah, I did bring up Rishad Gasquet because who won a grass court title, I believe, not too long ago, like a couple of weeks ago. And I thought he may, you know, challenge Sam Query, and uh, which I overlooked was his, you know, lopsided. Uh, history and big matches against Gael Monfils. It's just a matchup issue there because Monfils, I believe, has never made the second week of Wimbledon. I'm pretty sure, unless you know, I'm missing out on a year when he did. So that that was, a, I think, to me, that was a very very surprising loss more than uh, Dimitrov losing to Wawrinka for all the reasons that you had listed. Because Dimitrov is, you know, facing some you know internal you know battles there, and uh, a lot of times when you are struggling with confidence. Uh, matches become complicated and Sands a world-class player. So on that note, uh, it shouldn't be a surprise uh, for many, uh, given, you know, the context of their past. But uh, and other, other winners, I think, were routine. Roger Federer and uh, Marin Cilic, uh, I think, are the two favorites in this this section. John Isner, Sam Querrey, uh, I believe Kevin Anderson won. Uh, uh, I think uh, Gilles Miller had to work hard, but then he got better, uh, you know, Michael Mo in the end. Uh, on that note, let's flip the page uh, for Tuesday. Uh, is there any women's match, uh, Matt, that stands out in your opinion uh, that you you have keen interest for tomorrow? Well, uh, one is to look at Angelique Kerber against Beres Vanareva. Those are both f- former Wimbledon finalists uh, meeting in the first round. And I know that Zvonareva, um, you know, does not have the stature that she did at the beginning of this decade when she was. Uh, in her prime, but nevertheless, whenever you see two players who have made a Wimbledon final and they're playing in the round of 128, uh, that is certainly going to get some attention. Uh, another particular first round matchup that's intriguing, this, in this case, because of the contrast in styles, is Monica Nicolescu and her underspin forehands, which were dissected by new tennis with an accent contributor Nick Nemiroff, uh, in his first article for us on Sunday. Nicolescu's underspin forehand and her off-pace shots are going to go up against the firepower of Indian Wells champion Naomi Osaka. So that is another 
very interesting women's uh, first rounder to look forward to on Tuesday. On the men's side, I'm sure there are a couple of matches that you may want to talk about. I definitely want to talk about Juan Martin Del Potro because he's someone, you know, who's been on the radar since Indian Wells and then come the play season, he was a little tentative with the schedule. He did play a few tournaments. And now this is a tournament where most of us think, uh, you know, if he does pass the first week, like the same logic used for Nadal, he can be a force because he has weapons. He can hit the ball as hard as anyone has, I think, in the history of the game. He has a great serve. Uh, the only problem is the footing on grass. If the first week is very slippery and the baseline is not worn out. And uh, Goyevchik is someone who's having a resurgence since last year's Newport. I met him there briefly. He was someone who was a resident of the Challenger Tour, and now he's won, I think, a title or two. He's contested even in a 250 final. Uh, I'm thinking uh, Del Porto has too much game there, but he, I think Goyevchik is going to keep him honest for good stretches of that match. Uh, do you agree there, or do you think Del Porto should be a routine winner? How do you see that one? Oh, I, I think this is very much in play in terms of being a, a, an up-for-grabs match and a match that could go in various directions. I think we just need to look at Sloane Stevens as an example. You know, she did not play any of the warm-up events. Delpo is very much in a similar position. I can definitely see, you know, uh, Delpo being rusty in a manner akin to Stevens uh, and others who really have not played much on grass over the past three weeks and uh, not being very crisp. I think that the whole rationale for for betting on Delpo, uh, as was the case with Sloan, is that they would play their way into form in the first week, and then you and then you rise and and uh, hit your hit your stride in the second week. That's the basic rationale. But of course, the flip side of that is maybe you're rusty in that first round, and the other opponent is, is playing great. That was certainly the case with Vekic. And uh, Gojewick will try and, and create that same kind of resistance. So uh, that match is very much up for grabs. It, it definitely has the potential to be very compelling. Okay, and uh, I'm sure there are a couple of favorites tomorrow in Rafael Nadal and Novak Djokovic. They seem to have, uh, you know, routine uh, assignments where, you know, there shouldn't be a big surprise. I think uh, I think we all can agree they, can, they should be, you know, coming through comfortably. Of course, we don't know how it's going to play out, but it's fair to say we can look uh, – Another match, I mean, like a Nick Kyrgios-Easterman match, I think that's something that can have a little bit of intrigue because Kyrgios really didn't win a match here last year, came here with, I believe, a compromised, uh, you know, shoulder, and uh, if I if I remember correctly. And this year he's definitely been under the radar, played finals in Stutt- uh, semifinals in Stuttgart against Federer, and then same semifinal against Chilich. So uh, what do you make of that match? you think, uh, will Nick be challenged here uh, in this opener? Well, you know, through the years, if you followed major tournament tennis, you know that Dennis Istomin, uh has given top players fits in first weeks. Uh, you know, Istomin memorably defeated Novak Djokovic in Australia. Uh, he has battled uh, Andy Murray and other top players uh, in the first weeks of majors. He usually doesn't get the job done uh, because he's unreliable in crunch time, but he certainly has shown on several occasions that he can make elite players sweat. And, you know, many in our listening audience will not regard Nick Kyrgios as an elite player, and that's fair because he hasn't yet gotten to a major semifinal. He hasn't yet showed staying power at the major tournaments and the kind of consistency uh, one would expect and hope for uh, from an elite player. But nevertheless, Kyrgios does have elite skills. Uh, his racket skills, his soft hands, his huge serve, 
there are so many things he can do uh, to make himself formidable on a tennis court, especially a grass court. Uh, so uh, Isamin definitely has the skill set and the skill base uh, to trouble Kyrgios if the Australian uh, is not vigilant and is not on top of his game. And we've seen Kyrgios not be vigilant a lot. So that certainly has the... the Certainly has the potential to be a trouble spot. Are you picking uh, the scoreline, uh, Nick in three and Nick in four, or are you staying away from that? Or? I think I think Kyrgios in four sounds just about right. Okay, I think I'll just differ, just for the sake of you know just being different. I think Nick in three, or maybe a tiebreaker too. And then uh, of course there's another match there uh, that I think we all in the predictions I think uh, call them as a team. I think without discussing with each other, but it did catch almost everyone's attention. It's, the inform player Jeremy Shardy versus a talented southpaw from Canada, Dennis Shapovalov. So that definitely has uh, some exciting shot making. It it will be nice if it goes five. I think there's a lot of tennis to be offered there. Uh, how do you break that one down, considering the recent uh, level of both men? Yeah, well, in terms of form, there's no question that Shardy is the more informed player. I mean, on grass, if you if you just look at grass. Comfort level, Shardy is the, is the definitely the more ascendant player. He was exceptionally good in Queens. Uh, as, as our friend Andrew Burton says, when he hit, when Shardy hits a ball, it tends to stay hit. Uh, he's, he's a very thorough hitter and he was playing the break points and other important points well at Queens all week long. Uh, gave Djokovic a run for his money. Uh, in terms of form, it's Shardy, but we all know about the luminous and transcendent talent of Shapovalov. Uh, if, if the Canadian can get through this one match, and one must realize that Shardy, while extremely skilled, uh, is not exactly known for locking down the fort and taking care of business on a relentlessly consistent basis. That has not been his forte, to put it mildly. If Shapovalov can get through this first match uh, and, and beating the more informed opponent, uh, he could then get on a run. Uh, we, we've seen him do this multiple times. Uh, he ha- and, you know, in, at the U.S. Open, he uh, got past another Frenchman, Joe Wilfred Sanga, uh, to get uh, through the first week of that major. Uh, he could certainly get the train rolling if he can get through this first-round match. It's a, it's a match where I would expect Shardy to win, uh, but I would certainly give Shapovalov every chance of pulling the mild surprise. I think I agree with the, whatever you said. I'm just going to uh, – I think a lot of times when you're talking about a talent like Shapovalov, I know this is uh, this may sound like, you know, going off uh, off topic because form is, uh, you know, a key ingredient when you look at someone who's coming in at a major. But also a lot of times I've noticed some, some, some players can build uh, decent enough momentum and when they reach the big stage, a first round like this could be their undoing. And I'm expecting uh, it will be a tight four-setter. I'm expecting Shapovalov to come through because I think this is a guy he's seen. Uh, we've seen in his young career that he embraces a big stage like not many, and he's, he's made for those big stages. I don't want to sound, uh, you know, we're trying to sell something here because, you know, he's already on a lot of people's radar. And uh, I don't know. I think uh, the mindset is shoddy, but I just think there's an X factor, and Shapovalov, uh, I think, will, will rise to the occasion on this one. Uh, and there's another match that I picked in my uh, women's draw as an upset potential because I've been uh, pretty big on Caroline Garcia along with you on these 
on the Tennis with an Accent Forum, both podcast and, and writing. Uh, but I just see Belinda Bencic as a potential upset winner here. Uh, do you agree, or how, how do you see that match? If, if you don't agree at all, feel free to, you know, point that out. Well, on, on Monday, just to kind of lead into the, a conversation about Bencic Garcia, on Monday I watched the Coco Vandeweghe Katarina Siniakova match, and that was a match that was lost by the losing player more than it was won by the winner. It was a match defined by mistakes. And so while I wouldn't necessarily trust Bencic uh, to beat Garcia, I could certainly trust Garcia to lose to Bencic, you know, to make that particular point of emphasis. Uh, Garcia has struggled uh, at, at the big-time events this year, and uh, the way she capitulated against uh, Angelique Kerber uh, at the French Open, you know, that was a decisive loss. It was a loss in which uh, Garcia did not offer much of any resistance. Um, you know, that could certainly weigh on her mind as she crosses the English Channel come, coming over from Paris uh, to suburban London. So, um, you know, I'm not exactly sold on Bencic, but I'm certainly uh, concerned about the way Garcia is competing at this point. So I think that this, this match could certainly get away from Garcia and enable Bencic uh, to develop confidence. I, I, I would take Garcia, but I think it's going to be three very erratic, inconsistent sets, and it's going to be anyone's match to win heading into a decider. Uh, you know, and I may contradict myself because I picked Benches as a potential upset or at least one of the best matches of the tournament, but I kind of agree with what you have mentioned here. A lot of French players in the past, be it, uh, you know, Gasquet or uh, uh, even Amelie Moresmo, uh, so some of these players have just struggled at the home slam. There's something about the French crowd and the French players, and... Uh, you know, you have to go back to Mary Pearson before that Henri Leconte, who was the last male French finalist in Rolling Arrows. But whenever these players, uh, all the players I've mentioned, they've come over and crossed the pond to, you know, to, to UK. They've, they've played some of their best tennis, with the exception of Maurice. I think Songa has made the semis here. Gasquet has made the semis. So, I don't know if uh, Garcia has great grass credentials, but uh, just uh, respectfully disagree their point to, to your point. While I agree that, you know, she really was out of sorts in France, I think she probably won't have that pressure uh, following her because, uh, you know, this is the UK, this is Wimbledon, there are a lot of big names where, you know, where the media radar is focused on, including Serena and, you know, Petra Kvitova or even Sharapova, you know, she's coming back. And then there's Magrutha, defending champion, and, you know, you name it, there's a few others like Halep. Etc. So, yeah, I, I do think you have a point there about Garcia being, you know, temperamentally, you know, sometimes she's off. But at the same time, I don't think Wimbledon is a place where that's going to be an issue. But we'll find out. And uh, before we wrap this up, uh, let's talk about Serena Williams. Uh, I know you got to see her match. What are your first impressions? Uh, I didn't get to see her yet. I was at work. I picked her to win the whole thing. Uh, uh, give me some feedback that how off I am or if I'm on the right track. What did you see today? Well, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say uh, definitively or conclusively that uh, the way she played uh, against Arantxa Rus, uh, you know, should determine how we think about her for the rest of this tournament. Uh, you know, this was a first-round match. It was definitely a get-through-it match. You know, you're, you're not really focused on uh, the quality of play. You're, you're focused on, you know, an, a relatively efficient result without uh, exacerbating any injury problems or any fitness-related concerns. 
and Serena achieved that. You know, I don't, I don't think that she uh, left this match feeling physically worse uh, than when she uh, entered the court. Uh, so, you know, just checking those boxes is important and valuable. Uh, in terms of identifying uh, pressure points from this match, her fastest serve was 115 miles an hour, and her average first serve speed was 103. So those are very modest numbers. They're, they're several miles per hour below average. One could interpret those numbers and be concerned about her form, uh, but one could also look at those numbers and say, this was a player, this was an example of a player who knew that she could probably play this match at three-quarters speed, at least in terms of her serving, uh, and still get away with it, given the caliber of her opponent. If if that is exactly what Serena did, and it's it's hard to say, but if that's what Serena did, you know, winning without her fastball, uh, winning without her hardest serves, knowing that she intentionally, uh, you know, withheld uh, her most forceful tennis, if that's what she did, then that's a very encouraging sign because it, it shows that she's very conscious about not overworking that shoulder, uh, not uh, trying to tire herself out too much. If she can manage her game and her body and her serve like that through the first few weeks, uh, she could get to a point where uh, on Manic Monday, uh, when she could face Madison Keys, by the way, uh, she'll be ready to step up her game and, and, and serve harder and play at a higher level needed to win the tournament. It's worth noting that Alina Svitolina, uh, who got knocked out in round one on Monday, uh, she is in Serena's section. So, so in terms of seeds, uh, that section is now much more open for Serena. Uh, she might be able to get through that first week without having to overextend herself. So, it really gets down to, Sakib, uh, whether Serena was very intentionally trying to serve at three-quarter pace or, or 80% pace, or if her uh, slower serve speeds uh, were reflective of physical limitations. That That's really the, the key question, and I don't think we're going to know uh, if which way that, that, that answer goes until um, the, the next match and probably even into the third round. Um, her second round should be fairly manageable, uh, but we will have a better idea, I think, at the end of this week, and certainly by Manic Monday. All right, Matt, that was as insightful as always, and you're absolutely right. You cannot lose a major. Uh, you cannot win a major in the first week, but you definitely can be out of it, and uh, that's been a known fact. And uh, before we wrap this up, I just want to say, we did mention a lot of routine matches on the men tomorrow as far as expectation goes for top men namely Djokovic and uh, Nadal. But also let's keep a, a tab on uh, Alexander Zverev, who's coming back with a hamstring injury. Last we seen him was a very unusual loss in Halle. And now hopefully he's somewhat recovered for his fans and, you know, German tennis. Because if the healthy Zverev is there, he definitely can make this conversation very interesting as we, you know, progress in this tournament. So on that note, Matt, thanks for doing this. So hopefully we can do this again at the business end of these championships.